0: at it again. Back at it uh, again. On uh, 11-11. That is right. Betcha. Well, this past weekend was Warzone Atlanta. Yeah, it sounds like you had a good time.
1: I had a fantastic <clears throat> time. And I can say without a doubt... Act I can say without a doubt that one of the things... Warzone Atlanta has a lot of hype going into it so to be completely honest going to that event was very much like the expectations and the bar had been set pretty high Mm -hmm. and i'll be completely honest i was blown away it was probably one of the most well-run well-organized like the so let me give you a contrast here in a typical major you go to um Our majors here in Texas are fantastic. They're
0: Mm -hmm. generally
1: at very good venues. There's food um, generally in the area. If you don't like what's there at the venue, you can easily get to something. Accommodations are easy. Getting there is usually pretty easy. So in general, the bar is already pretty high to begin with. When you go to these events, what you typically go through on, on a tournament weekend for your typical major, is, you know, Saturday morning you come down, there's registration, round one gets going and then you get a break for lunch, you come back and you then you play two rounds. Uh, Sunday, you come back down, you repeat the same process. You play a game, you go to lunch, you come back and you play the finals. At Atlanta, what was fantastic that they had done was they had basically, first of all, had I won't say it was as much room as we had at SoCal around the tables. That was just mm-hmm. impressive. Uh, but that was also an aircraft hangar. That that would be that big. But the amount of room that was around the tables here is second to that. I haven't seen that much room. Even at LVO, where we we had for the ballroom that was there, we had a good amount of room there at LVO. This had enough room that you could get around comfortably. One of the nice things were they had a lot of these bins that were under the table and the bins were big enough to just kind of put your army down on. Um, yeah. While you, so your, your tray was out of the way, but to get to the good stuff here, we went down, you did your registration. You, yeah, basically the round went and what they basically did is um, they, they had servers from the hotel that would come in. They would get you drinks. Like if you want, You know, soda, water, or whatever, Um, and then uh, I think it was Sunday. They have limits on when they can start serving alcohol, but Saturday there weren't. So it was basically like as soon as we got going Saturday, it was you know they'd come around and they'd offer beer and you know liquor and whatever you want. They they would go get it for you uh, and just basically wait on you. Um, And I don't think the prices were too ridiculous on it. I mean, it's going to be hotel prices, so it's not going to be like going down to your you know rest like a a uh, convenience store or like a you know grocery store or whatever and get any, yeah. you know, the same stuff. But the nice thing about this was you didn't have to stop the game. Mm. Like one person didn't have to get up and go and get something. They yeah. would come out, they would serve it to you, um, which I think is one of the best things I've seen at a major. It's such a great idea. What was even better was that once that round was over, round one, they had a buffet lunch for everybody already set up over in this, in one of the little restaurants or whatever that they had. Wow. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. Yeah. It was so also of you
0: go- usual, like rush to go to lunch in half an hour. So you can make it back in time for your next round. And that was so, what was so fantastic about it. Like you didn't have to rush. You
1: You didn't have to, like, you could even like hang out for a minute or two after your game. You didn't have to go like hunt people down and be like, all right, we got to, you know, we've got, I don't know, five minutes to get to where we're going. And then we've got 30 minutes to eat and five minutes to get back. And then we can play our next game. It was, it was just basically walk right in. The food was great. I mean, first day, I think they had like barbecue pulled pork. They had um, fried catfish. They had Mm -hmm. salads. I mean, they had a whole bunch of stuff. I think day two was like hamburgers, hot dogs, sausages, all sorts of other stuff. Um, But it was, it was good food. And it was just all covered as part of being there for the event. And it just made everything just run so smooth. I would say that those two things right there were probably what really, to me, kind of set the bar above everything else. Maybe that's just what I'm easy to please on that kind of thing. But I think when you when you go to enough tournaments, you realize how frustrating that kind of thing yeah, it's, it's
0: little things like um LVO. I remember we sprinted down stairs from the uh, where the tournament was down to that. Like, that sort of basement area. Yeah, and you couldn't even like order the food you wanted. like literally like, okay, where is the line shortest? Grab your food, yes. scarf it down in like five minutes, and run back upstairs. Yes, and I yeah. think that's part of what sort of leads to the um, stress of going to some of those bigger venues. Yes, and it sounds yeah. like now I don't enough, know if they could together.
1: I, I'm not sure you could do that at the size of something like LVO, but I I think w- the guys in Atlanta that are that are running this uh, Kelly John, they know what they're about, right? They know what their yeah. tournament's about, and it's really cool to see that working really well for them. Um, I mean, it's, it's also attracted really good players too. So
0: yeah, but I'm actually fairly certain that the, you could do it at some of these uh, like other events. Is just. You'd have to like sort of increase the cost of the ticket to um, sort of make mm-hmm. the accommodations. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if honestly, that's the type of thing that I'd be willing to pay an extra five, 10 bucks for to have that sort of service available. I mean, I'm assuming that the, um, I mean, obviously, you're paying, I'm assuming you're paying for like the alcohol out of pocket. So the, the um, hotel makes money on it and um, just, Seems yeah. like a sort of a good deal for everyone all around.
1: Yep, I do think uh, I do think they they want to work something out where they get some more servers. Um, I think that was yeah. probably where it was a little thin. But I mean, having servers in general uh, is better than nothing. And I know that through the course of all of my games, there was someone who basically came by at least twice to just say, "Do you guys need anything? Do you want some water, or some soda? You know, we'll we'll yeah. go get it for you." Definitely, and that's just nice. You can just focus on the game. The second thing that was really, really cool was the streaming. Uh, They had the pro tabletop guys, and these are the guys doing the, um, they have the 10, 10. So there's a tournament coming up in I think a week or two, and it's kind of like the first big Warhammer tournament. That's got a cash prize to it. And yeah. yeah, So it's got about a $10,000 cash prize that's split up a certain way. I don't need to get into it, but you can go look it up. Um, these are the guys doing it. You can find them. Uh, it's pro tabletop um, on our Discord server for Thousand Suns. We actually, when they were streaming the event, they had uh, basically whenever they went live on on Twitch, it would post to our, uh, our Warzone Atlanta uh, room. So you can go back and that's still there. So you can go back and watch the streams for each of the games right there. Um, here's the cool thing they did about their setup. A, these guys have an amazing amount of investment in the equipment that they have. They've got like professional cameras, professional lighting. Um, And then what they did, which I thought was really smart, they had their commentary going, but what they did was they set the commentary up away from the game. And at a lot of other events, what I see is the commentaries sitting there like right next to the guys at the table and they're commentating on the game and yeah, i have to can, think about like if i was the player on that table that'd be pretty annoying
0: yeah and also I, it can affect the way the game plays because for instance the guy doing the commenting might notice something right and uh could completely change the uh flow of the game that way
1: which makes it so that the guys doing the commentary can actually call those things out versus the guys that are right there next to them can't really do that or they have to yeah. talk really quiet or something like that mm-hmm. um but their equipment was really, really good. Um, their setup was awesome. Uh, you know, they would go around, they had the guy with this, um, wireless, like it was, it looked like a TV studio wireless camera that was like up on his shoulder and he would go table to table to like the top tables getting updates on, um, okay, well we know what's going on at the top table, what's going on in these other ones that are like right there in contention. Um, and so like it, it was just having the room around the tables was important for that because you had to be able to get a move around the camera and everything to, mm-hmm. to, to get in place and get your shots. But um, those were two of the really cool things. Third thing that's really awesome about how Warzone Atlanta is run that also differs from a lot of the other ones I've seen, they do a bracketing system. So what happens is you play your first games, your first three games on Saturday. And then what happens is they divvy you up. And I think it's a, they did it in groups of about eight people. And there were about 160 people, I think, total in the tournament, or right around there. And they divvy you up in groups of eight. And they just go down the list from your standings of like top, top eight, next eight, next eight, next eight, all the way down. And then what you're doing is you're competing day two against those guys that are in your bracket.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they give two awards for each bracket. One is a best general and one is a best overall for that bracket. And they're giving prizes away. Um, They had some good prizes for each bracket and they were almost, it's not like winning the whole thing had better prizes. You got the bragging rights, you got up there, you got a picture. I think they had like a special 3D printed like chainsaw or something like that, right? So there was a special prize, but it wasn't like the, it wasn't like, oh, um, the, the guy who wins it gets like, $500 in in models, uh, or, or like new army stuff. And, um, that's not out of the ordinary when you go to these tournaments where they give just like this big package of like new models and things like that, that you win. Um, and it's efficient for people who run the events to do that because they get, you know, those things are hard for us as players to acquire. Um, without like having to go hunt down discounts and stuff like that at different stores, so winning that at a tournament is a real boon for the player, um, and it's easy for the you know a lot of times the tournaments are run by stores, so they have the ability to get that stuff and give that out. So it's a win-win for both sides. Um, yeah. the The cool thing here was they just distribute it almost evenly across all of the brackets. So basically, what would happen, or my observation was um, that if you got best general within your bracket, you basically won a box. And it could be something like a Lord Discordant, like Colin McDade won, or uh, it could be something like a a set of Sisters of Silence, uh, like one of our other other guys won. Um, And then they gave a best overall, which was kind of a better prize, uh, which I like the fact that the overall prize was better than the general prize, so that it encouraged not only just playing well and continuing to stay in play, but it also encouraged, you know, like a good painted army and the, you know, just overall enjoying the whole, the whole aspect of 40 K, not just the competing part of it, which, it, which was really cool. Yeah. So the other thing about that, if you think about it, that's really great is if, if you look bracket, stuff like that. It doesn't matter how bad you do day one. Like you could just have a trash day, get five points day one total, but across three games and still have a reason to come back tomorrow because it resets. Like your next day doesn't even matter when it comes to points. Like you, or your first day doesn't even, like the next day you show up, you're competing right out of the gate just for best within your bracket. So I think yeah, what's great is it it reduces the amount of people that drop from the event.
0: Mm-hmm. Cause it's always the um, ability to like win something. So that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And now the, the last, yeah, go ahead. Well, you also um, <clears throat> don't have the sort of thing that can happen. It's like, I need to, I go well, I lost my first three games. I really need to win like really hard these next three so I can like torpedo up
1: right Right. so it makes you try too, right
0: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> um, the, the thing about the hobbying there too that I wanted to also mention, Mike, you were at LVO this past year and yes, some of the stuff they had on display was just magnificent. Uh, some of the mm-hmm. hobbying stuff that's there. I mean it's it's an event. And the uh, like an event of events, but I will say without a doubt, the quality of the hobbying uh like the painting um the stuff that was there, was far and above what I have experienced even i, I I'm daring to say even at LVO. I mean that's high praise, but I think it's well yeah. deserved they they had a they had a um, they had another really great thing where at the end of day one, what they did is they carved out a special room and they set tables up and it was for folks competing for like best display or best, art mm-hmm. like best overall, more or less. Um, they would go in there and set their armies up and you, it basically was like an army showcase. And what was so great about it is it was on the way out of the event. Um, so mm-hmm. if you took a break, you could walk like, or, um, at the end of the tournament, not if they wouldn't be there yet, but at the end of the the, the day uh, you could go out Saturday and just walk through the room and take a look at all the different armies. And they kept them on display probably until like, I don't know, it was probably close to like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And then they closed everything up. So just walking around the convention, you could, I mean, they, they had stuff just set up. That was just awesome to look at. So you didn't have to, Hey, go over and catch it in between matches or anything like that. So yeah, which
0: honestly, that sounds much better than the way most tournaments wind up handling it. Because the uh, big turnoff for me for a lot of those was, all right, and if you think your army is good enough, come down first thing in the morning before the tournament starts, and we'll judge it. It was like yeah, which leads to like um, uh, last year at Austin, for instance, I had a really nicely painted army, and. Like, I had no idea what other armies I was like comparing up against because, to. like, yeah. all right, I brought my army down, I pulled a judge over. Um, who else is doing this? Because, like, the, the um, right, the tournament hall was already like full of people. It's like, who am I actually competing against here? Right, it they make it. I think what happens is they get so caught up in just
1: the logistics of having to run the main tournament that it's mm-hmm. almost that becomes secondary. Whereas there, there was much more emphasis on just making sure that that was treated as well as actual tournament itself, yeah. um, and that like hats off to those guys. Like all of that stuff, I'm going to get into the other bits of this and and talk about some of the things that I I was not such a big fan of, um, and despite that, this is the this is one of the tournaments that I am going to go to next year hands down. Like I will, I will make sure I go to this tournament again next year. It was that good. Um, But let me get into these other things here. First of all, um, terrain was a major issue. Uh, When we look at the standings and you look at the armies that are up there, a lot of the armies that did very well are very good on tables. If there's no terrain at all, you have Tau with their drones, you have orcs with just all their bodies and all the, all the shooting that they do. Um, and then in Marines in general is just really good right now anyway. So they can compete with what's up there. Um, aside from that, you know, we didn't see very much Eldar up there. I think Sean Naden was like in the top 20, but yeah. most of the chaos lists, I think the highest chaos list that was up there um, was actually a corn list. And I think it was uh, red Powell. I think he was 13th overall, which was amazing with corn. Uh, I think it was corn and world eaters um, on our uh, subreddit for thousand suns if you go hunt down the warzone atlanta thread uh, any of the chaos lists that were that i'm talking about here you can go find them uh, and i've also updated the thread so it shows the um, standings of where they finished uh, so you can go hunt these guys down and, and take a look at their lists and what was in them so um, hats off to red powell because that was i think he was a top chaos player um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was the top chaos player there for the day or the yeah. weekend so and with Korn, So in style, Um, but yeah, terrain can be a big problem. Um, Not having places to hide. Um, I felt it with my Raven Guard army, uh, which I can get into a little bit, just a couple of the matches that I played. Um, Being able to have some place to hide or use terrain is a big, big deal. Now, my side rant on this, Mike, is really something I think we've talked about a little bit but you might talk to a little bit here GW needs to do some better terrain rules like they <laughs> they need to they need to clarify some of this stuff a lot better um, yep. there's things like hills <clears throat> like there's hills in the game but uh, I guess there's a way to play them now on, on one part it's there's probably a degree to where at this point tournaments are probably gonna have to start putting Maybe not their own rules, but their own clarifications of what they should do.
0: Uh huh. Or, so, or
1: what their terrain does. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, effectively, a lot of the terrain, a- unless it is like GW generated terrain, like the new Mechanicum stuff and the uh, Adeptus Minestorum terrain, there aren't rules for most of the terrain. Like, Hills, they might block line of sight, but if your model is modeled in like a particularly impressive pose or has like a weapon that sticks up really high, then it doesn't do anything. Um, yeah. And uh, the other thing that I've, I believe I've complained about, um, previously, I don't know if I've ever done it on the uh, podcast is a lot of tournaments don't actually enforce the rules that do exist. Um, Partly because they don't actually use the GW terrain because it's fairly expensive and partly because it can potentially bog things down.
1: There's also Uh, partly because there's a lot of players that don't know. Yeah. I I can't tell you how many people don't know that if there's woods or craters, those are minus two to your charge. Mm -hmm. If if you're charging into or through it, like if you go around it, you're fine, but that exists. Those are actual rules. So, yeah.
0: So I, I think that, given ITC's sort of the the ITC's uh, tournaments in general, the the fact that they tend to have lots of sort of scratch-built ruins, and that's about it, um, I think it falls to ITC to sort of come up with better rules for the terrain that we tend to see at their events. Um, As much as I don't want to really pass the buck on GW, um, if uh, the rules are used as written and the terrain is used as sold by the, ga- the game, then it, I, I think we wouldn't see some of these sort of weird issues. Like, mm-hmm. I own an entire range of uh, Death for uh, Death World Forest. There are, like, three pages of rules for that terrain um, and how it interacts with the game and, like, the things that it does. I have never, ever in the two years that I've owned it, seen anyone be even remotely interested in using the rules for it, or even particularly interested in using it in a sort of even watered down method, because it doesn't block line of sight. Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> That's sad because if I remember right, there's some of that terrain actually manipulates like psychers, like hey, you place yeah, one the, to the, the... if you're in this
0: terrain, mm-hmm. right? And um, yeah, a lot of it, like it if you're close to it, it gives you cover, but if you run or charge through it or sorry, advance or charge through it um, and you don't fly, it can potentially harm you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I feel is actually a fairly interesting t- style of terrain. Um, but I, I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. even at LVO, there were some complaints about the terrain that was there. The, some of the setups just didn't feel equitable or the, um, Terrain was sort of lackluster on some of the tables. I, I don't now, part, know. Part there's of that, a I, solution to that.
1: Part of that, I think, is that there's an enormous amount of pressure and financial investment that's needed to run these tournaments. Oh yeah. So definitely. On, on one hand, I can. I think it's really just continuing to voice the concern that there needs to be more terrain on some of these tables to help other armies balance out a bit. Yeah. Um, it should not be basically planet bowling ball right? Like, I'm not sure that magic boxes are the answer, but they are a answer. And I think it's a good thing to have something like that as part of the game that other people have to be able to account for. And not necessarily have to have it on every table. That's kind of what my intent is there. More that it's an aspect of terrain that you can encounter. And the more different types of terrain you can encounter... The the better it is, I think, as long as it's not some nebulous, endless, you know, chain of custom rules for everything. Um, standardizing, like having maybe like five or six different variations of terrain and just rotating through those, would probably be you know a good way of doing it. Yeah. Um, but the thing I think that's really key here that's missing is there's no um, recommendation from Games Workshop on how much terrain would, you know, like when they, when they talk about it, their answer usually is, well, you should have more terrain on the table, right? Okay. Well, we start putting more terrain on the table where I can just keep adding terrain and sooner, sooner or later, I'm basically building zone mortalis. Right. And yeah, (laughs) I mean, we're, we're in a crazy board at that point, but I think a recommendation, like if you, if you use the tiling, mechanism Mm -hmm. that they have where they have the um uh the six uh 24 by 24 inch tiles uh give a recommended number of pieces of like say ruins or terrain that should be on each tile on the map and i think that gives you an idea of enough to standardize and balance the game and that's an easy thing for gw to just do so so that you know here's our here's our recommendations of what should be on the table and then i think that then sets the expectation for everybody that says okay well that's what should be there i that's what i should have to work with so then playing on desert landscapes shouldn't be a thing
0: yeah so or maybe it the, should um, i don't know i think the desert landscape has its place in like narrative play but um so the i started playing back and forth into the 5th edition um, and so back then terrain, literally a good like 20 page section of the book was like, here's all the terrain rules. Here's how everything in the game interacts with the terrain. Here's our recommendation for how much terrain you should have. And the it was very well codified. Um, right. This was right after Games Workshop produced their first like big line of terrain kits. And it was as uh, they were pushing it really hard. Um, I I think that some of uh, effectively every edition since has gone lighter and lighter on the terrain features to the point where like, for instance, uh, back on blasts were still a thing Um, in fifth edition, they only hit one level. And then in sixth edition, they changed them to hit multiple levels. And then in seventh edition, well, it just, hits everything underneath the blast, regardless of how many levels there are. And then they got rid of blasts, thank God. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing is, I think that they, as they sort of keep refining the rules going on, effectively trying to make the game more streamlined and more balanced, they wind up sort of cutting out anything that can lead to arguments, which unfortunately terrain is one of the most often argued about things in the game. Cause it's a very sight, Right. Yeah. It's like important subject.
1: Some things I don't think they can, they can remove from the game, right? Like it's a necessary evil. So I could see them just saying, look, there's line of sight, maybe, you know, terrain rules. Those are the kind of things that they can kind of live with for
0: now. And, um, I really do think that, yeah, we, we could do with more terrain, um, on any table for the most part to up to a certain extent. But uh, do you the, think
1: a uh, chapter approved will uh, possibly address terrain again?
0: I mean, every chapter approved so far has like brought up the topic of terrain. Um, usually it's providing like updated rules for the new terrain kits that have come out in the intervening months mm-hmm. and I, I assume that chapter approved will do the same having updated rules for all of the Adeptus Ministorum, uh kits that have come out in the last bit well, and we, we actually we uh, might see some additional like, uh, like war zones uh, come out uh, that came out uh, last year which was kind of fun yeah well,
1: we've probably covered a good chunk of the event of Warzone Atlanta. Um, I do want to jump in real quick into the games. Um, so I've had five games over the weekend. I ran the exact same list that I took to SoCal. Uh, so if you're interested in how, how the, the list performed from SoCal, uh, you can go back, I think, to our previous episode uh, and catch that one basically i I don't want to get into the details of every single match because I don't think there's all that much value or content there to' them, um because pretty much my list did what it did yeah. um i played i played knights uh round one and my aggressors and centurions basically killed the knights um i played round two i played um i think it's schumerman uh matt schumerman and it It was against um, an army that was centered around uh, 24 Shining Spears as Sam Hine. (laughs) And so it was a great list. Very cool, very well designed for the meta to just be hyper aggressive against Marines and just not get into like a firefight with them. And that's basically what happened against me. We lined up for Dawn of War. And when I looked at it, looked at the matchup on paper, I basically knew, well, I can win this by going first and getting into his shining spears turn one, which I was basically prepared to do. Uh, it was a Dawn of War deployment. So if, if I didn't, the Met terrain being what it was, I would not be able to hide from him. You know, it wasn't like I could go sit in a corner because then all he does is he goes box and boxes me in and I need to go get objectives. Uh, so I, I opted for the one option that that was viable for me to go win the game, and that was to deploy in a way that gave me a chance to go first and hit him hard. And every other option that I really had would result in being tabled. Uh, I actually survived longer than I thought I would. Um, turn two, by the end of turn two, I th- bottom of turn two, all of his Shining Spears were gone, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think he was left with maybe one or two, but the dreadnoughts pretty much cleaned everything up. Um, he did get the one dreadnought uh, uh, the character dreadnought killed. um, uh, but it basically he he was so far up on kill points and everything, like all my eliminators were gone that you know, the primary operating force of my army was just it was annihilated in his in his initial wave. And then it was basically the scraps of my army versus what he had. So it, I think the game ended with like my dreadnought hiding hiding behind a pillar where he could his uh, dark reapers could not see him, and he basically just played peekaboo the whole time, just shooting whatever tried to come get line. <laughs> and I mean, that's really all I had at that point. So yeah. um, hats off to Matt; he had a great list. I think he went four and one for the tournament, did really well. I'm pretty sure he was top twenty, maybe top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on stream, uh, so if you want to see that list in action he was on stream for game three after that match that I had just played. So, um, you can go check that out. Uh, really cool dude. Yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing to complain about from that game. Uh, game three that day was, uh, against white scars and space wolves. And it was one of the, um, so first of all, I didn't know the U S army actually has a sponsored esports team, but they do. And these, they had a few of them there. I believe red Powell and Matt, tally is i believe who it was uh cool dude walks around in sunglasses the whole time uh so he's got kind of like like if you've ever watched poker or anything and you see those guys sitting at the poker table with the sunglasses on that's kind of what it felt like when i was playing (laughs) i'm like all right you don't want me reading your eyes and what you're doing i get it man so it was cool persona he got going uh, so he was running, uh, two squads of centurions. He had a big squad of wolf in, he had a, like a smattering of chaplains and jump packs, smash captains and jump packs, a li- librarian on a bike. And then he just had some scouts smattered in there and a, and a chaplain dreadnought. It was a mean, mean list. Essentially what happened was I towered up in ruins with my, my snipers and we drew basically hammer and anvil and he had to come to me. I put my Centurions and my Aggressors in reserve so that there was no way for him to actually get to it. My mm-hmm. Thunderfire Cannon was able to Tremor Shell his Wolfen almost like two or three turns in a row. So they, they just like took a few steps each turn, getting closer and closer. And I dealt with all the Smash Captains and everything else with my Eliminators and all that stuff. Um, and then when it finally got to the point where his Smash Captains and everything got into me, essentially the way I deployed was my eliminators were in the second and third levels of the ruin and my infiltrators and, and intercessors were on the bottom floor out of line of sight. And they were also wrapped around the, um, the Thunderfire cannon. So there was no way for him to essentially assault and then be able to pop up and assault the guys up top on the second level, because in order to do that, you have to kill a guy to get a space to hop up. Mm -hmm. So essentially I had it where if he went and attacked me, he was going to trade his smash captains, his chaplains, his librarian, everything that got in there. He was going to trade that for, for like my intercessors and my infiltrators. Yeah. And I'm okay with that trade because then what I did was when I saw them coming up the battlefield, I typically have a dreadnought sitting back there as like a a protector against anything that comes into assault. And when I saw that coming, I just moved the the dreadnought back you know, three or four inches uh, so that you know, there was no measure, measurable way for him to get all the way back into the corner to the dreadnought, mm-hmm. and so I basically just set up the counterattack. So he obviously came in, and that's exactly how it played out. He killed uh, he killed the inter- inter- intercessors, and he got the infiltrators almost gone. There was like one or two left, and I had the helix adapt there who just kept bringing guys back after that. Um, and then the dreadnought, my librarian, my chapter master, my lieutenant, the eliminators—they just cleaned up everything that was right there in their bubble. And then on the other side of the map, I had two two squads of scout snipers up in a up in a tower, and the, a second dreadnought over there, and then a second set of intercessors and infiltrators over there as well. And the whole idea was just to kind of have two points of attack that he had to work with, um, and it foc- and it blocked out. Um, the, the way everything was set up hammer and embo wise, it blocked him out from getting behind me with his, uh, Centurions. And that was kind of the thing I was really worried about. And the key Mm. that came in was the fact that his Centurions came in and then my Centurions came in and my Centurions are basically anti-Centurion Centurions. I've got Melta. He's got Flamers. You can't, you're out of range to flame me. And those Flamers aren't going to do all that much to me. But my meltas are sure gonna, you know, mess you up, and especially when they're AP five meltas uh, yeah. in the tactical phase. So um, that's essentially what happened. So I brought my or my uh, centurions in. They took out what they basically cleared one centurion squad. He then responded with like his Wolfen and his um, other centurion squad and killed mine. But then between. I think it was Hec- I think it was Hector and Icos after that that went and cleared the second uh, Centurion squad, mm-hmm. and then it was left to try and clear the the Wolfen that were left there. And at that point, we were already down to I think like turn five, turn five or six or something like that. But we got to the point where time wise, we were we were basically running out of time, and we had to kind of. It, the game was at a point where we could we could talk through what was going to happen. And so there were a couple little things we just kind of worked out to say, okay, well, let's roll a dice and see what happens on this one and just the important stuff. And uh, it ended up just being a really close game where he actually, on that scenario, beat me in primaries, but I ended up beating him in secondaries and tertiaries because my snipers were able to kill the warlord. I had a line breaker because I jumped, jumped stuff all the way back into the other side of the field. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I had cleared all of his troop choices out and I still had my infiltrators alive, which it was one of those things where kill all the, kill all of one type, like troop elite, fast attack, whatever. And I had killed all his. And because I had one left, I scored way more than his, uh, on that. And that was enough to kind of overcome that. So it was like a two point victory maybe at that point, but it was a fantastic game. So anyways, I think what was really cool was it just showed that the list that I have did what it was supposed to do and that in that kind of matchup, I can take their characters out. I can, you know, use the Thunderfire Cannon like a utility, almost like a utility knife and just slow stuff down. Um, I don't really care that I'm not killing stuff with it. It's more, let's just slow down the stuff that we're worried about getting to us. And then, you know, it's just up to waiting for them to come after you and then countering that with like your Dreadnoughts and your Centurions and stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, third, fourth game was day two. Uh, I was playing Brenton. Uh, I think it's Brenton Weiss. Best match I had of the entire tournament. It was against Tau. It was Triptides with the Yavara. the The whole game, it was a it was Vanguard Strike, and there wasn't a lot of line of sight blocking except for um, we had almost like these L's that were on the table, and then some smoke stacks in the middle. Um. So there was line of sight blocking, but it was more like a maneuvering game where you're moving back and forth um, trying to kill stuff.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: essentially, the game played out like this. I was trying to kill his drones. He was trying to kill my snipers. And that went back and forth. Um, I put some stuff up in front to take some pressure off that so that I could kind of play the maneuvering game with some breathing, breathing room. Um, there were two key things that happened in the game. One is I brought my... Uh, centurions down and he had screened his drones out in front of his riptides. Uh, There was a point where I was able to be within 12 of the riptide, but not uh, nine or nine away from the drones and 12 to the riptide. Um, And it was just one spot that was there that I was able to get them there for. Um, I tried to get my dreadnought in for there. And the only place I could put the dreadnought, there wasn't room to pull that off. So I couldn't even place the dreadnought there and, and do it. Uh, so what I ended up doing was just putting the dreadnought like back somewhere else to try and go after something. Yeah. Um, essentially, here's what happened: I cleared the drones. I then hit the Riptide with Melts. It doesn't do all that much, obviously. It uh, Savior protocols took a lot of that off. Then it comes down to the important thing, and that's the charge. What I was able to do was I was go- I knew I was going to eat Overwatch. I was going to take Overwatch from two Riptides and a Commander. Uh, I spent the command point for Raven guard that if I only choose one thing as my target, I can reroll the fit, the, the charge. Uh, so that's the one I used. I only charged the one, the one riptide eight overwatch. All three Centurions survived. I had one centurion with down to one wound, but all three were are still or still the to go roll my charge. I obviously failed on the first one. I mean, I need box cars, right? And then I yeah. tossed them again. I rolled box cars. And I made that 12 inch charge and the two of us were just kind of sitting there laughing. And obviously with the positioning, as you can imagine there was some contention over whether they were all in range or whatever. And I could, I could tell Breton was kind of like, Oh no, I shouldn't have given you that kind of thing, yeah. but it's okay. It worked out for Brenton. So it, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> so I made the charge. I killed the riptide. Obviously he had a Yavara in his list as well. And at that point the Yavara had been off the table. Uh, we were getting towards the bottom of the game. And I had been clearing the riptides and most of his drones were gone. His, uh, like his fire blades, I think, were gone. His ethereal was gone. Like My snipers were just doing their job. Essentially, it got to the point where I had to take my chapter master and Ivinus and Encomi and go after his Yavara. The great thing is, is there's a psychic power that Ravenguard can take as well, which you can cast on a unit that's 18 inches away. And because the Yavara came down and flanked me and tried to assassinate some stuff. Uh, which it did, it killed my aggressors. It put it in a spot where I could pounce my army on it. And I put that spell in there because I was I was thinking that exact same thing. From the from the get-go, I knew that the Avara could leave the table and come back, which meant there was a good likelihood that thing's going to be in my face, like turn three or four or something like that. And so that's what I did. I took that power, cast it on it. It could not overwatch. It was minus one to hit for the rest of the game or for the rest of the turn uh, or round. So got Ivanus and Comey, got my chapter master, put everything into this thing. I like unloaded on the Avara, um, charged both the chapter master and Ivanus in. They both made their charges. Um, they just went absolutely bonkers on the thing and it survived with one wound. As a result, what happened was it was able to fall back and basically kill like, you know, both of my, both of my dudes or, or kill my chapter master, which was basically a Slay the Warlord there for him. Um, so points wise, what happened was him it, from a kill points perspective, the Yavara was the gem, the gem of the game. Cause it's yeah. like five, oh, it's a nearly 500 points. The thing is like so many points in the game and I had killed one Riptide at that point, And the other one was almost dead, almost dead. And the Centurions had died on that turn. So, so I did, I didn't have anything to really get to that next, uh, Riptide so it was like all in on the yavara and it just it's one of those things where i got to the one wound i had no command points left and i'm it, that's what lost the game right there i just
0: couldn't couldn't pull it off so yeah now the yavara is a mad, bad mamma jamma. i've uh, crossed time passed them a time or two
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty sneaky good it's a it, it's like a 3d6 flamer that's like strength I don't know, nine or 10 or something stupid like that. And it does uh-huh. like what, two damage, three damage, something like that.
0: Yeah. Last time I played against them was with the har- with my Harlequin list.
1: So uh-huh. that was a bad time. Yeah, no, I know I wouldn't have made it if I ate overwatch from that thing. So it was just a matter of turning that off. So I think if you can do that um, and Raven guard, have multiple ways to do that against how you want to load up on those powers just so that you have that utility. So yeah. anyways, last match was against one of the guys who organized the event, John, Uh, He was playing Necrons. Um, We had a good relaxing game. At that point, I had lost two games, won two games. John obviously was in a similar situation. Um, He was playing a Necron list that had the three flyers. He was going to bombard me. Um, I failed my mortal wound shield on the um, chaplain to try and protect my guys from that. Uh, I could at least give everybody a five-up field of pain to the mortal wounds, Mm. Uh, but didn't go off twice. Like I I re-rolled a one twice, so it was like, all right, guess this is gonna hurt. And uh, then he bombarded me, and I didn't get bombarded at all. Like nothing. Yeah, he just it didn't hit anybody. Really, it didn't hit anything. I'm like, all right, I got real lucky on that one. Uh, and then basically, he took his. I think, I think it's the there's the Deceiver or one of the other ones that has the ability to pick up himself and then D three units and teleport. And he rolled a three, so he brought himself a big squad of warriors and i think a um an annihilation barge back into my backfield before the game even started um and that was kind of a fun sequence because then i was using my vanguard moves as a as a counter since he was going first he he did his moves first and then it would be me that did that and so then i could activate my vanguard moves afterwards say all right well now you're in my face and you're right by my intercessor so i'm gonna go ahead and like move my intercessors away from you, like get away. And uh, so it turned into a firefight at that point. Um, and what he was really trying to do was go after my, uh, the, the, there were three troop units that he went after uh, as marked units to kill for points. And essentially he got two of them, uh, but the third were kind of hidden in the built, uh, hidden in a, a ruin on the bottom. They were infiltrators and they survived. He, uh, they, the rest of the army was able to clear what was over there. Um, And in the meantime, my Eliminator sat in a upper building in the ruins, picking off his Cryptex, Emotech, and then just whatever else they could shoot at at that point just to help out. So, yeah, just got to remember to kill Necrons all the way out, Um, Mm -hmm. not having the Cryptech there. And actually, when he tried to bring it back, he failed. Even with a reroll to to bring the Cryptech back, and that was huge because he he had i think a squad of immortals that was sitting right there that i had I had killed down to like one or two immortals, and they yeah. were about to get up on fours instead of fives with the Cryptech. Mm-hmm. and uh, I was real worried about that when I think only like one one or two got up, and then I was able to kill the squad in the next turn but uh i think I think that was uh, a, a great event um, and then at some point I'm probably going to tweak the the Minotaurs list a little bit more but i think what was great was uh alizarium was there as well he's one of uh one of the mods with our with our group so he and i were able to hang out watch how he did with the thousand suns list uh, he ran um uh the famous rubric marine list with a couple of demon princes and a bunch of zangors and he had some really cool games i'm sure if you uh you hit him up on discord he'll tell you all about his uh uh i think it was his tau game where he said there was just some ridiculous stuff happening in there um So it was pretty cool. Um, All in all in all, man, it was a good event. I am headed back next year. Mike, are you going with me?
0: I mean, I think I'll uh, definitely try to go next year. It sounds like a good time. And uh, it it sounds like it didn't use ITC rules uh, for its missions either. It didn't. Yeah. It's a little bit of a nice.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're a little bit more seventh and sixth edition, style missions but it's okay you can still play with it i think i think you could bring an itc list there and do fine Uh, how richard siegler did that Uh, a bunch of the other guys did the same thing they just took their lists and just went so
0: yeah
1: um i will say if you are a fan of thousand suns you will want to keep a keen eye on this event next year and think about bringing (laughs) a thousand suns army to this event there's nothing to announce yet but you may want to think about planning around Warzone atlanta next year more with your details on, on that later that is true but mike there's in the meantime while this was going on there's a whole bunch of stuff getting out on the internet here
0: yeah i know, you know we've right?
1: got we've got new releases coming for chaos space marines we've got you know new stuff getting leaked for inquisition like
0: what what the heck's going on Yeah, so um, next month's White Dwarf looks like it's going to be particularly interesting for me. I I actually didn't like the uh, North format for uh, White Dwarf anyways. But um, the Inquisition is finally getting a rules update from its index rules. Um, So the Inquisition has been in sort of a a weird spot, I guess, to explain a little bit, in that uh, the, the rules literally don't work. For a faction, um, uh, because the literally, I think I pointed that at one point. If you took as many points of Inquisition as possible, you would still not be able to play a full army of Inquisition, mostly due to the rule of three and the fact that they don't really have anything. Like they don't actually have a troop's choice; <laughs> they have HQs and elites. And their stuff tend to be fairly durable. I mean, sorry, very, fairly uh, fragile. Uh, it packed a mean punch, sort of, because you uh, had some pretty potent weapon options available to them, plus the rerolls versus the relevant target. But they're just so niche that it was almost not worthwhile to take them outside of a joke list. However, the new Inquisition army fixes pretty much everything that was wrong with the Inquisition, um, they're still sort of a niche army. Uh, they, you can't run a full army of the Inquisition, um, but they uh, no longer interfere with you gaining your special rules. For for instance, space brains. If you take a an assassin, uh, you don't get combat doctrines. The Inquisition, uh, you would be able to still gain those benefits because of the role that they fill inside the. Uh, Uh, Imperial Society in general. Uh, The important thing, though, uh, so the Inquisitors are still mostly the same. They added some new Warlord traits, uh, which are pretty cool. They added some additional psychic powers. They sort of tweaked uh, some of the new ones. But the thing that really stands out for me here is all of the Inquisitorial Acolytes have the ability to be characters, uh, which previously... You take a little jokero or uh, a demon host and you put them on the table and there's nothing protecting that model. Now, uh, all of them are characters, as I mentioned, but even acolytes, if you start them in the squad size of one, gain the character rule. This allows you to do some interesting things because the Inquisition has a lot of just very good weapon options. And actually fairly powerful choices in regards to like the, the profiles for the regular guys. An Acolyte is a effectively a guardsman sergeant who has access to things like power fists and thunder hammers, which um, is pretty cool. And, th- and a storm shield, if you yeah. wanna just a completely over equipped little, little mortal guy. Because apparently the Imperium is just overflowing with storm shields
1: and they're 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 on sale for a whopping two points to everybody.
0: Yes, um, and uh, but like I said, that leaves me fairly excited um, for what this sort of bodes for the Inquisition because this is still sort of it's an it's an index as an update on the index. Um, hey, it's better so, than nothing, right? It, it is I mean, better you're than nothing. And, and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, like I said, they're, they're getting a the whole bunch of stuff out of it, and I'm uh, taking this as a step forward in the right direction while they work on an actual release. Uh, effectively, like. Yeah, go well, ahead. Uh, ex- so, um, in an ARMY that I played a lot recently, they got a White Dwarf release that updated the rules from the Index. Then, uh, six months later, they got a full, effectively a codex release with Phoenix Rising. Uh, so that leads me to believe that they're well, they, they, to actually, to expand on that, they actually they tweaked points, they adjusted some wording on some rules a little bit, mm-hmm. and made the Inari a lot more streamlined and a lot better than the, their index version. Yeah. Uh, the, sorry, the white dwarf index version, not the index right. index version. It's right. distinction before I get lynched. It was a. Uh, it was a. It was a patch, right?
1: Yeah. It was, so it was like, uh, okay, look, look we're going to patch the army. We're we're redoing it, but here's how to play them
0: for now. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is much the same, uh, where they're sort of, they're at least getting something out there to sort of allow us to retire the index index, and use the, this new thing while they sort of hammer out the final form of the rules that the inquisition is going to have yeah seems
1: really cool yeah. but uh you know what i think is cooler is the uh the faith and fury stuff yes There's, that's where the meat and potatoes are and they really gave us not a huge tease today um so the big thing they revealed today uh or at the at, you know the recording of the podcast uh this was on monday so um if you take a look at uh the warhammer community site they've today announced like okay here's your first look at what's there and they showed that there's some i think it's black templar stuff uh that's coming out and then uh, like space marines get about 10 pages of more stuff which looks like that's mostly going to be like black templar stuff Um, well
0: sort of or am
1: i Um, am i interpreting that wrong
0: yeah you're interpreting that a little wrong so it's actually the they leaked the table of contents and then like one thing from each chapter of the table of contents, which is actually really interesting, uh, because the what people they uh, effectively the affected factions are getting. So just bog standard space marines are getting new stratagems out of this. Yeah, uh, effectively, what they're allowing uh, the the stratagems is effectively looks like there's uh, and, uh one for each like major role inside of a particular chapter. Uh, yep. that allows you to improve the abilities of that character. So the one that they leaked is Master of Sanctity, which uh, David will be very familiar with because that's what his special character Chaplain does. Um, mm-hmm. Effectively, allows any chapter to now upgrade a regular Chaplain to a Master of Sanctity, which allows yep. them to use two uh, litanies per turn as opposed to only one. Now, there's, this got me thinking
1: something interesting here because I've been noticing one of the things that they've been doing with the, uh, the Space Marine stuff is there's kind of almost two ways for you to get to certain things in the game mm-hmm. or get certain uh, elements in your list. Like, let's take, for instance, re-rolling all hits. I need yes. a bubble to do that. Almost every army wants to have that because it's just ridiculously good. So you can do that one of two ways right now. You can either get the chapter, just pay for the chapter master uh, itself uh, that has its own profile and you get it. Or you take a captain and you upgrade them using command points. Now, the interesting thing about using the command points is they've also been doing that with stuff like additional warlord traits, relics. Mm -hmm. Um, So, what what I'm finding is that the space Marines are actually getting really, really hammered from command point use. Uh, so yeah. you can get to it from a point standpoint, you can squeeze stuff into your list, but then you start losing command points. Like it's two points to upgrade that chapter master.
0: Yeah. So What's I think the... that's
1: where this gets interesting. Cause if you're going to spend points to upgrade that chapter master, my guess is it's one point to make it a, a, uh, yeah, two, it's, it's, I, I would imagine it's not a two-point upgrade.
0: That would yeah, say it's, it's one expensive. CP uh to upgrade yeah. to a master of sanctity. Yeah. But the thing I, I actually really like about this is so traditionally, uh if you wanted the benefits of a special character, well you that I mean you had to bring the special character and you had two options either you could say that oh yes this is my space marine chapter master who is equipped identically to the named character or you had to paint your guys as the appropriate chapter colors or Eldar craft world or whatever and this opens up the thing to like yes this is my master of sanctity and allows you to really sort of expand on Mm -hmm like who your guys are Mm -hmm. and uh i i think it's a step in the right direction they bring more options are always appreciated um Mm -hmm. as long as they're not like dumb options so they 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 revealed that
1: one but then if you notice there's there's two others there's masters of the chapter and masters of the forge and we're gonna have to kind of find out what those are but it sounds like well, i can actually answer
0: that well go ahead All right. So masters of the chapter refers to the leader of a given like um, role inside the chapter. So you have a master of sanctity who's the head um, chaplain. You have a master of the forge, who's the head tech priest, the chief librarian, chief apothecary, and so on and so forth. And um, effectively, masters of the chapter actually used to refer to a um, old box set for ultramarines um, where each... Um, it effectively had like four or five, um, like unique, uh, space marine captain sculpts to represent each of the masters of the ultramarines chapter. And effectively, what this is referring to is the the same sort of thing, but, um, providing sort of lore by the looks of it on like what each of those masters does while also providing the stratagem to allow you to bring your own.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah that look that is pretty cool um and then you've got chief librarian chief apothecary it looks like it's just like all of them that they're Mm -hmm. all going to get that stuff um but then what's also cool so last thing on the loyalists here like black templars they're going to get some data sheets right they got some new stuff coming they're getting Uh, updated
0: data sheets for all their special uh units i'll tell you what
1: sticks out is litanies of the devout though because that's telling me they have their own litany tree so that mm-hmm. could be a big curveball right there. Uh, litanies yeah. are fantastic because there's no way to counter them. Yeah. It's and there's literally no way to stop them.
0: Black Templars, it's actually very important because they don't get psychers. Uh, the right. uh, There'd be no effectively every other chapter released so far has gotten their own psychic tree. So yeah. instead, they're getting their own litany tree to uh, sort of balance things out. And I'm just
1: curious if it possibly works kind of like how Necrons with their. Um, uh, their uh, Catan shards, uh, how they have those offensive powers. That's very similar. Like they're not psychic powers. They're
0: just here. You go. It's possible. Um, I yeah. mean, what we'll see here in uh, two weeks.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but enough with the boring stuff. We got Heretic Astartes in there, and that's where oh, the good stuff yeah. is. Yeah. This um, is actually
0: very exciting. Uh, the the return of proper demon weapons. Oh, I love it,
1: I, and and what I love about it is. The beginning of, or through most of Eighth so far, if you look at a lot of the there's good relics in there for sure. Um hell, the, the Black Legion Chain Lord is a good example. Um, there's good stuff, but there's also a lot of stuff where you can tell what the designers were going for. Um would probably have worked a lot better in this in this format, meaning they took the approach of uh with the demon weapon that it works, but on a rare occasion it won't like you will, you will get shut down and it just will not decide to work with you. Whereas there's a lot of other stuff that I think that's kind of the theme they were going for. And the way they did it was they said, uh, like icons of flame, icons of flame are a really good thing. Like icons of flame should just work, but on a rare occasion, not work. Um, And then it's just a matter of figuring out how to make that, you know, maybe it doesn't do like a mortal wound or whatever. Um, it it should be something where it's like on a one, it doesn't work, but then everything yeah. else it works, and then it's just toning down whatever the effect is. Like maybe just giving a mortal wound like that isn't is too powerful. But
0: yeah, or the the thing I like about the the, um, the uh, example they gave, so the example is Zeal the Wrathful, which is a corn power sword or hellforge sword. Um, effectively it's AP minus 5 damage too and on a roll of 2 plus you add the uh, number rolled on the dice for the demon weapon ability to and uh, add that to the, your strength of the user and mm-hmm. the weapon that this competes with very nicely is actually the murder sword it's the only other like m- AP yeah. minus 5 close combo weapon in the game uh, mm-hmm. other than like destroyer weapons I suppose and There's actually like some some, like like, I actually think Zayal is better than the Murder Sword for sort of general use. I agree, but has like the downside of it could potentially kill your character. But you can you can command point out of it if that happens. It's a one, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: It's kind of like a uh, Abaddon and his bonus attacks, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think what's I think what's good here. The good thing uh, looks like it is um, for word bearers, night lords, alpha legion, iron warriors, emperor children, world eaters. Um, we're getting what we wanted. We're getting, uh, they're getting their own warlord traits. They're getting their own stratagems. They got artifacts. So they have their own relics that are in there. Um, the tactical gen- objectives and the name generator. Okay, great. Um, obviously that, was two pages right there that they filled up with that. But um, I think what's key here is when you look at the stratagems that are there, it lines up with the same number of stratagems that the Black Templars are getting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I suspect, well, there's a whole page. If you look at each one, the way it's laid out, they have the, the Legion mentioned. So word bears are mentioned on page 60. But then warlord traits are on 61, which means there's a whole page on page 60 that just talks about wordbearers. And that's probably where they're talking about um, your legion tactics, your, you know, all your like traits that your army gets. And this is a really good chance here that things like word bearers got tweaked. Uh, Night lords yeah. possibly got tweaked. Things that are just not worth being army wide things could be adapted into something better. My guess is they leave world eaters alone. Emperor's children probably could use something better that gives them something that doesn't just work against one army. It's kind of,
0: yeah, kinda I think weird. that they're going to wind up tweaking uh, pretty much all of them to bring them in line with the, what Marines uh, currently have with Marines being the, um, Guess the current benchmark for uh, and the armies, and the big thing to look out
1: here for so, and this is what could happen here. So, they have the Heretic Astartes page that's on there. Uh, there's a chance they get doctrines, like, there's a chance that the chaos, these legions get doctrines. Because if you look at it, these are the chaos undivided legions, they're the ones that all fight together right now against um. Space yeah. Marines except, except for Renegades um, Black Legion. Except for Black Legion, but Black Legion was addressed in a Vigilous ablaze, as well as the Renegades. So yeah. they got their stuff. Now, what I could see happening is in here they give Black Legion and these guys uh,
0: doctrines. Yeah, and that's well, the one the that, one reason why I brought them up is that they yeah. could potentially benefit from that in this book.
1: That's a very good point. And hopefully on those pages, that's what's there. Now, it, hey, the, the sky isn't falling if that doesn't happen, right? Like if that's not there, that's okay. Uh, I think we also have stuff coming possibly in chapter approved where they do some point adjustments for some things, maybe demon engines, maybe weapons, who knows? Um, but I think definitely like if we just kind of try and take a guess, I have no idea what happens with word bearers or night lords. Those are, they could just stay the same. They could become something much more useful. Um, Alpha Legion is probably going to mirror Raven Guard, but not in a hunt characters kind of way. Probably more in a you're you're always in cover and you're minus one to hit if you're infantry and you're in terrain. That's probably what they're gonna their legion trait is going to be just to mirror that. Also, just based on that's what they got in or that's kind of what they've been doing since the launch of Eighth Edition, right? Like mirroring the two legions, just like Iron Warriors and Imperial Fists.
0: Yeah, and
1: um, and and if there's doctrines, they have a chance to give Alpha Legion kind of their own doctrine there. So we'll see what happens. I mean, there's a there's a lot there. Um, The cool thing is you're getting at least you're well you're getting one page of stratagems for each legion. Um, I hope there's not a lot of repetitive or repeated stratagems in there. I don't think there's going to be since it's just one page. It's kind of similar to what they did in Vigilis Ablaze. Um, only it's going to be for each Legion there. And I think this is really good because that's one, two, three, four, five. That's like three, four, five, six different Legion or it's six different pages of, chap- of stratagems that, I mean, every single stratagem in there is a potential... You know, game
0: winner there for you to be able to build something around. Yeah, and the other thing I think it's important um, is that I do think that the um, this release is a sort of precursor to a large, a more permanent um, release for each of the uh, Chaos Legions, um, yeah. where they'll either get printed in a like their own book or supplement or (laughs) whatever chaos mark three comes out so please (laughs) please gw do not wait
1: that long we know space wolves and thousand suns are in the list to get addressed yes are we are we looking at another showdown is it round six battle for prospero v2 i mean (laughs) <laughs> At this point, I would imagine they're getting pretty pissed about the Thousand Suns just kicking their ass all the time.
0: You know, maybe space wolves should um go see other heretic astartes. They're they're being kind of like codependent. I, I need we just you need a, a clean break. <laughs> <laughs> no, the job is not done yet. <laughs> oh man. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Who knows. <laughs> now, one of our buddies uh John uh runs a another show. Uh just giving him a shout out if you check out FMP Wargamers. Um he does a really cool like if you're at work and you work on your computer or whatever and you just want something to listen to. Um every morning he jumps on and just kind of does kind of like a little quick morning. He tries to shoot for like a half hour morning show. Um And I was listening to his show today and he actually talked about this cool thing that sounds like it's been kind of floating around. Um, So there's two theories here. One is that at the culmination of this whole psychic awakening thing, it's the return of Fulgrim.
0: Yeah. He
1: doesn't think that's what it's going to be, but there have been folks, I guess saying that's what it sounds like it's going to be, which would be interesting. The second thing, which was the first time I've heard anything like this, uh, well, first time I've heard this specific one. So I'm going to go back, Mike. Do you remember early stages of 8th edition? There was with the Primarchs, you know, Primarchs had just come back. Like Magnus just got his thing, Gilliman had just come into the game. There was like this hype that, oh my gosh, we're going to be getting Primarchs like every six months here. Another one's going to be coming back, right? Yeah there was a and then there was a rumor that kind of was out there and then disappeared that had this notion of like a one primarch jumping to the heretic side mm-hmm. and then one primarch jumping to the loyalist side yeah and i was trying to sort out like how they could even possibly have a loyalist like none of the loyalist primarchs that we know of right now could do that however the rumor that John was kind of addressing, he's not starting it. He's addressing what he was told. And I think he was kind of thinking he's again, unlikely to see something like this happen. But what he was saying was um, uh, it sounded like Fulgrim would potentially go through a split with the demon that's possessing him. And the good Fulgrim in a way goes over to the loyalist side and the demon Fulgrim retains like his body some way or something like that and, like, or maintains his ownership of the Legion, essentially. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I don't know what your what your thoughts on that are. I mean, it's possible a uh, Loyalist Trader Parmark could occur. Uh, I don't think it'll be from, like, a Magnus style fracturing or split. Um, mm-hmm. However, there has been uh, several instances of pr- traitor Primarchs getting cloned by a certain mad scientist, uh, ex- emperor's children, apothecary. Or oh, that guy. Oh, bald man. He, he can yep. he can make clones, Little but he can't cure... fabulous any... bile.
1: Yeah, he can make clones, but he can't cure male, male pattern baldness. So.
0: Yep. it's actually why he... Uh, apprenticed under Uriane Rackharth. He uh, should have known better. Uriane Rackharth is also bald. <laughs> but I mean, that is it's a potential um, it is, but it's also funny. Someone who does not uh, suffer from male pattern baldness, uh, let me tell you.
1: Hey, I'm headed there, so Mocking, now I'm getting offended. Balding people. I am
0: getting offended right now. Special joy of mine. Not really. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I don't I mean it's 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 possible. Uh and it would definitely like really shake things up especially if like uh, Lionel Johnson for instance uh crossed the fence the other way. Um also Yeah, that's you
1: know, the one that stuck out to me that if, if people, something man. like that was going to
0: happen that's who it would be, right? Mhm. But um I don't know. I don't think Games Workshop would necessarily um like pull a fast one like that because mm-hmm. uh, I think it would leave some people kind of mad. And as much as I mean, games, you could, it'd be really Sorry. interesting narratively. I, just, I can't see them offending yeah. their own, like a portion of their own fl- uh, player base that much. Well, they
1: couldn't, they could also do something with Alfarius and Omegon. you know, yeah. considering the fact they brought Gilliman back, they can bring other dudes back. They're, they're willing to be bold like that. So you could have something where it's not really Alfarius that was dead, and it's not really Omegon that was dead, and Dorne isn't dead. Like any of them could technically be written back into the game somehow, as as cheesy as it could be. But you could have a split where, you know, like Alfarius is loyal and Omegon is, you know, traitor and then and then that fulfills that that's that's a total possibility
0: i mean that is definitely a thing that could happen even within the alpha legion themselves like yeah. there's still a faction that considers themselves to be secretly loyalists <laughs> but we have to do this <laughs> well it's more of a like well the imperium's going to shoot at us at this point even if we do um right like Come forward he's like no, we're the good guys. So instead, right. he's just like, you know what? We're just gonna we're gonna own this, but still fight chaos.
1: So the last thing I I thought I'd mention is uh, I do find it kind of funny on the um, uh, on the on the post on the community today. They have a good photo, a uh, good picture, a really cool battle scene between Iron Warriors and it looks like White Scars
0: and um, and Salamanders. And I guess are there salamanders in there too? Yeah, there's a oh yeah big another green photo. Splotch. Or is there a different photo?
1: Yeah, I'm focusing on the Iron Warriors photo. Right. And on that one, it's got like the it's got a bunch of the new models, right? It's got like all the new Terminators, the new cast space marines, uh, it's got a Lord Discordant in there. Um, and then it's got some of the old ones, like it's got a mythical land raider. Uh, a mauler fiend, a defiler in the background. But here's the really funny part that just stuck out to me. It's got a little rhino, and it's and it's like parked up right next to a repulsor, and it's just so dumb how much bigger the repulsor is right now than the rhino. Like, I don't know what they're gonna do there. That's
0: well, I mean, the repulsor is like land raider sized. I don't. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I think it'd be much more fair to compare the poor little rhino to a um impulser. Like yeah. Which is a graph pickup truck. That's fair. I guess that, that makes a lot of sense. See now I just want to get one of them and uh, paint it up all Dukes of Hazard style. <laughs> well, is there anything else we need to cover tonight? I mean i I think are, are we missing anything i don't know yeah of course we are How? um what what was it
1: oh that's right magnus did nothing wrong
0: how do i always forget that jesus you always magnus forget it did nothing wrong remember that fact <laughs> serve you well you can remember
1: that but not your rules yes. got it